Welcome to A Penny for Your Thoughts, a podcast brought to you by Sean Bloomgren and Andrew Penny from Central Iowa. On our show, we discuss all things agronomy, high yield management, and give you real-time updates on what we're seeing and hearing in the field. We'll also gain insight from industry professionals as we bring you relevant and timely information on current agronomic practices. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to A Penny for Your Thoughts, the second episode of our Agronomist Edition. Uh, we are lucky enough to have uh, four fantastic agronomists from uh, Iowa and uh, Kansas. So, uh, Sean, what's your thoughts on the episode today? Yeah, I'm excited. I think this process has been really fun. Reviewing these interviews, especially in the uh, season where we're planning for next year, it's super helpful to have a view uh, that's certainly larger than just the area that we uh uh, you know, we work with customers. So a lot of similar themes this week, but have uh, certainly enjoyed uh, the perspective of these agronomists. Do you want to, uh, I guess we're going to introduce them in the show, but do you want to tell our listeners who's in uh, uh, session number two? Yeah, we're lucky enough to have uh, Jeremy Miner uh, from Iowa, uh, Holly Thrasher, who is a, uh, an agronomist from Kansas, uh, Jim Donnelly from Illinois, and then uh, Nicole Steckline from Iowa. So we definitely have a, a good viewpoint from uh, Iowa and, and Illinois. Yeah, look forward to it. And uh, we'll uh, we'll catch up with you guys. Uh, in Kansas. Yeah, in Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll catch up with you guys on the backside. Hey, welcome back. Uh, we are lucky enough to have Jeremy Miner on, an agronomist from uh, Southeast Iowa. Jeremy, how you doing? Doing okay, Andrew. How about yourself? Wonderful, wonderful. Well, hey, we uh, we wanted to put this podcast together to uh, you know pick your brain, uh, discuss 2022, and any key lessons or takeaways uh, that that you may have. So, so maybe let's start with uh, anything you saw that that could have uh, you know positively or negatively uh, impacted yield in 2022. Boy, I tell you what, I mean, if there's anything we learn about uh, production agriculture, there's definitely no two that are the same. 2022 was no different. Um, we saw, it was definitely not 2021. We saw a very cool, cold April, very wet. So not a lot of stuff got planted then. Yep. Um, really a lot of things in Southeast Iowa did not get rolling until I would say about the 10th of May. We were in a really cold, wet stretch for a while. And then all of a sudden things turned, the rain shut off and guys were able to go. So a lot of uh, seed was put in the ground, I would say, mid-May to the end of May. So, you know, uh, one thing that I notice is that, you know, when that happens and the way we cover acres anymore, uh, getting things in the ground, a lot of those um, hybrids that may be different in relative maturity um, are certainly susceptible to some of the things that happen weather-wise um, yep. that uh, you know, that happened throughout the year. So we, we certainly noticed that this year in East Central and Southeast Iowa, when things warmed up, um, you know, and the rain shut off, uh, June was pretty cool and wet early, but then uh, we had a couple of uh, heavy rain events. July turned off hot and very stressful right around pollination time. So, I mean, if you go back and look at some of the planning dates, you know, mid-May, um, a lot of your, your pollination dates end up in July and we, we spiked a couple of, uh, sections of, you know, 90 degree temperatures there with no rainfall, oh, yeah. uh, so a lot of stress going on there. We had two specific events that I wouldn't call, um, huge, but I mean, there was enough wind there and the plants were growing rapid enough that we did see some significant green snap just across crops in general, yep. uh, corn, you know, and, um, it's just a lot of stress to put on that. August was the same thing. We, we were still dry. And then all of a sudden, towards the end of August, we got cooler and, and got a little bit of precip. So yep. just really wanting as far as weather goes. And, uh, you know, this year was just another crazy ride. Yeah. 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 You brought up that green snap discussion. And, and that was something that it, it was a little bit different this year in, in my neck of the woods. And I, and I think, too, is maybe as you move a, a little bit northwest, you know, I, I saw products that typically don't ever have green snap issues, you know, with, with maybe two to 5% green snap. And, yes. you know, it, it, yeah. it makes it hard when you're out rating new products and, and just thinking about, you know, planning for the future, you know, you get these products that don't ever green snap have two to 5% and then you get a, a brand new product that's, you know, five to six to 7%. And, you know, right. how, how, how that makes it really hard to get it, you know, have confidence going into the, the, the next growing season. 
It does. And those become some difficult conversations to have. You know, customers have their favorite products and they may have been around a while and they haven't seen this. And all of a sudden this year was the year where a green snapper, a fusarium crown rod or, or tar spotter, you know, something like that just kind of showed up uh, at the wrong time. Um, and, and just really made people scratch their head and wonder what is going on here with this particular product. It's never, you know, done this for me before, but, yeah. I, but I've also ran into the same situations where people were pleasantly surprised and they're like, wow, I was not expecting yields to be this much better, uh, based on the weather that we had. Yeah. I've got a couple of guys Southeast Iowa where, you know, they ran into maybe 18 inches of rain total for the year, like a couple of like three key rains during the growing season. And we're talking 70 bushel beans and you know 260 field averages for corn in a couple of spots yep. so it wasn't all bad and we you know we got to make sure that we go back and, and really review what happened so we can have those conversations and really try and understand what really happened this year with uh with corn and soybeans i think i think that call out to go back and review what what really happened is so critical i i'm in the you know we're in the process now of putting together the 2023 plans and it's amazing how Yield expectations when we started combines were so low relative to the last couple of years. And then yeah. corn was quite a bit better than maybe we thought it would be. And then it's like we completely throw out all the information we had prior to harvest and, and we start, you know, we start questioning things that uh, the, the review part is really critical because I think when you actually go back through, it's one of the reasons we actually love just the, the drone imagery that we get to take all year, not even the satellite imagery, just pictures of the fields. Cause we have some pictures that it's mind boggling. We had had a crop at all with what we went through in late May and, and early June in central Iowa. And so I like, I like that conversation about go back and, and review. I, I think it's really important when we think about products, especially, ones that historically have maybe been, you know, our, our, I'm going to call it our stable hybrids or whatever, you know, we saw some goofy reactions from some of those, yet they still in most cases, you know, exceeded our expectations. And so I think it's, I just think that's a good call out. You just, you have to relive the year and you got to go all the way back to the beginning. Otherwise you have a tendency just to reflect on harvest. And that certainly doesn't, uh, right. doesn't do justice for what these products are having to go through. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, we talk about weather all the time and its impact on agriculture. We also got to go back, I think, and look at management. I mean, if you go oh, back yeah. and look at rotated acres versus corn on corn, I mean, corn on corn in some spots, really, uh, it, it was tough to, to maintain a good crop there. We just did not have a lot of nitrogen mineralization this year, I don't think. Yep. Um, we had a lot of edge effect issues with soybeans on the west side and north side uh, of cornfields. Oh, yeah. Um, I've got I've got some great pictures of a product that was planted um, right across a country intersection from each other. And there were two different fields. Uh, one happened to be vertical tilled and no tile. The other one was conventional tilled and tiled. And it is just night and day difference, the pictures of plant health there um, into September, you know, early September, you can really start seeing and noticing the differences right then and there. And I'm same just, product I'm just guessing the day. conventional tillage was much worse. Actually, it was much better. Really? Um, believe it or not. And I think that had to do with uh, just aeration of the soil. Um, the product that was ver or the uh, field that was vertical tilled was very blocky. Uh, they planted a little bit wet. Uh, so the, the conventional tillage actually helped dry that field out. The tile took away some of that that moisture early. So yep. things were able to get good seed soil contact. The vertical tilled field that wasn't tiled was just I mean, I took a spade out there and I was lifting up blocks of soil you know it, it it eventually dried and cracked because the water shut off yep. but i was lifting up blocks of soil that were six to eight inches deep and probably the size of a you know briefcase just <laughs> wow. you know, chunks out there so i mean it really made a difference and and you know those are the those conversations are tough but but people start to understand that when you get out there and get your hands dirty and uh, you know put the shovel on the ground and really start getting into it yeah so i'm i'm curious jeremy you you brought up uh that you know you, you guys finally started getting some rain maybe that that august time frame uh, yeah about mid-august there was the late rain there that uh that came in you bet did, did you notice anything um as far as either planting date indoor maturities that were more likely to take advantage of those late season rains yeah i tell you what um it seemed like you know with a lot of stuff being planted mid-may if you got anything in early uh, earlier than that, um, it, it was a tough start, but it seemed like those August rains 
hit more of the it, it helped finish off anything that was i would say 105 to 110 day it gave them kind of that last push to really hang in there and get some good grain fill uh it, it helped all the way around. If you had something that was really early, uh, it was tough to gain anything after that. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes the stress just was shutting the plant down and it, and it really just depended on timing. Um, because if the plant was already, you know, saying, Hey, I'm done, you know, it, it, it's ready to go. Uh, I just kind of dealt with it, but anything that, uh, I, you know, was fuller, uh, fuller maturity, I should say, um, was able to take advantage of that and kind of get that one last push for grain fill yep, and, yep. Uh, and help us out and hold things together. And I think that really helped maintain stock quality as well, because, you know, grain fill, we, we've got to have moisture to move those nutrients up the stock to get them to the ear. If we don't have that, those stocks just, uh, they just become the food source and away they go. Yep. Yep. So 2022 is interesting. What, uh, what are you advising growers and sellers to consider as they put their 2023 <clears throat> as they put their 2023 plan together? Um, I am encouraging guys to just um, make sure that they understand exactly what happened and and um, you know understand their hybrids and their reactions. You know if it's a product that they're comfortable with and that they haven't had issues with in the past. Um, it's always good to just really try and break it down and understand, is it a product thing or, you know, is it more environmental and, and weather slash management related? Yep. Um, I'm also encouraging guys to look at newer genetics. You know, there's a lot of price uh, issues going on out there with fertilizer and inputs and everything else. But I'm encouraging guys to, you know, not necessarily toss out their favorite hybrid or their favorite variety, but I encourage them to at least take a look at some of the newer genetics just because there is a lot of new products out there or a lot of new products coming in um, that just have a lot better stress tolerance. We're finding some good genetics that are able to tolerate some of these really wild weather swings that we're having. And it's always good to at least take a look at them. You know, you don't have to, to plant it, you know, to the entire farm or whatever, but it's good to just spread your risk that way, whether it's maturity, uh, agronomics, just take a look at some different things and, uh, and, and fertilizer, you know, that's that's another thing with prices where they're at. I'm encouraging guys to just make sure that they don't uh, cut there, that it's one of the most, you know, probably the most expensive uh, input that they have. But they really that's a place that nobody wants to cut, because if plants can't get their nutrients from the soil, they're going to get it from the plants themselves, you know, to finish that ear off. And that just that makes for a bad day for everybody. Yeah. Jeremy, I, I like that recommendation. That's that, that's probably one of the better ones I've heard, you know, when, when you said know what happened. And, and I think that that follows suits. It's in suit with how I'm talking with guys. You know, you, you look back on, on 2022, you might have numerous growers have had scenarios where their favorite product didn't do as well as it did the last two to three years. And I, mm -hmm. I always warn guys, it, it's like it's like chasing that, that brand new product in a plot. It's like, it's, you know, you're always chasing <laughs> that, that one year's worth of data. So I, I think right. the best thing growers can do is look back at two to three to four year historical history. If you can have it on a certain hybrid, you know, yeah. at least go back two to three and then look how, look how consistent that thing's been. You know, we, we want products that aren't that variable and we know every, every product has a weakness, some, some more than others, but if, if it's been your best product, and had one bad year, you know, or I should say if it's been your best product for two to three years and it had one mediocre year, it's, it's probably not time to throw that product away just because of one year. You right. know, you look, look at historical data. And that's where, uh, you know, a product like Climate Field View really comes into play because, you know, when we can start looking at entire fields, looking at soil types and productivity by soil type, you know, that it, it's just another tool that can help us out when it comes to product placement and making sure that we get the right product on the right acre and we're always going to have to deal with mother nature, but, um, you know, if we can get those things right, right off the bat, then it's really, it's one of those things that's out of our control. We have to wait for mother nature, but at least we've done our best part, uh, to put the product where it needs to go and let mother nature take its course and hopefully, uh, hopefully play, play, uh, good in the sandbox with us. Yeah, absolutely. 
Jeremy, thank you for taking time uh, to be with us today. Thank you for your hard work in 2022 as an agronomist and helping us put together a plan for 2023. Hope your area of the world uh, has a has a good uh, good planning uh, planning this fall and and good execution next spring. Thanks for taking time to be with us. Thank you guys very much. I appreciate the time and the opportunity to speak with you today. Have a great day. Thanks, Jeremy. All right, we're back. Our next guest is Holly Thrasher from Kansas. Holly, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for taking time uh, to join us. We're excited to have you on. Um, we are doing a series of interviews with agronomists. Uh, so we'll start with uh, Holly. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your role, and the area that you cover. Um, I cover essentially the western third of the state with the exception of the far northwest Kansas territory. So um, Kansas is the wheat state, so we grow a lot of wheat, but we also have a tremendous amount of row crops, including grain sorghum, soybeans, uh, corn. Are, Are you primarily pivot then or are you dry land? You know, it's a, it's a mixture of both. Um, we are very low rainfall. However, we do have um, the ability to irrigate. So I would say it's probably around a 60-40 split maybe between irrigation and, um, and dry land. So we are very dependent on irrigation to grow a crop. But um, as the course of time, we've we've also seen a reduction in some of our ability to irrigate. So some of those wells are decreasing over time. And so we're having to have a little different strategies in how we're able to grow a crop with reduced reduced ability to put on um, irrigation. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. So you know, obviously carbon, carbon's a big conversation and climate change and just, and just what's, what's happening in these regions. And so it is interesting because a couple of months ago, I was at a conference and we were, we were talking about that very thing, just even as microclimate shift, how we're having mm-hmm. to rethink cropping systems. And I was, I was just thinking as you were talking, you know, Andrew uh, is an outstanding agronomist, but he only has to really support two crops. So he, uh, it's interesting to think about all the different cropping systems and styles. I would quickly turn into a horrible agronomist. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was just thinking, I mean, you have to know a lot about a lot of different cropping systems. So um, oh, our, yeah. our goal our goal today, Holly, is, is, is kind of to ask you bookend questions. So coming into 2022... Did mm-hmm. you have some some you know practices or ideas that you were hoping to implement and monitor and um, and if so, what were those and then and then kind of reviewing the year, how did those things work and and what key takeaways did you have? Well, I think if if we talk about twenty twenty two and our expectations going into the year, we have to think a little bit about what twenty twenty one was for us. So twenty twenty one we were able to produce an outstanding crop. In fact, some some growers had the highest yields they've ever raised on their farm before. So that was in the back of a lot of people's minds. <laughs> yep. And then of course the run up in in commodity prices also the run up in in input prices but going into the season you know that was very fresh in a lot of a lot of people's minds um we also on the other side of that were in a drought and our weather predictions did not look favorable for us to come out of that drought we thought we were going to have a really really hot dry summer and of course at the time we didn't know if if that was going to come to fruition unfortunately it did so um, I, I think going into the 2022 season, one of the key pieces of advice is that, that I heard and I think was important is we have to make a crop first before we can get to the next level. Yes, we grew a tremendous amount of grain in 21. We don't know what Mother Nature is going to give us. So going into 2022, I think that there was a lot of hope for a a. Um, outstanding growing season, but probably in a little more of a defensive posture because of the weather that that we were experiencing. Yeah. So, so that said, some of the things that we um, 
played around with a little in our local trials. We're um, evaluating products in those limited water situations as that continues to be a growing um, a growing trend where we see we need to identify products that can handle limited irrigation. Yep. Here in western Kansas, we deal with a lot of high pH soils. So our local screenings for genetics that and, and corn and soybeans that can handle those high pH acres is really important and something that we duplicate year over year in both pre-commercial trials as well as commercial products to make sure we've identified the right genetics that can handle the that native high pH soil. Yeah, absolutely. So, so those are some of the, the things that locally we, we're trying to um, evaluate. What, how can we get the right products to make the most grain with the limited resources that we have? And, and ultimately, that's the, the life that we, we all live in western Kansas every day. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the, the drought that you guys are going through, Holly. Um, uh-huh. You know, we had, we had a, a grower that that from Kansas uh, on our mm-hmm. grower edition podcast. And he was, he was really good to talk to, you know, extremely optimistic despite the the year that you guys are having. Uh-huh. But, but I'm curious, you know, we're, we're dealing with a drought too, but not nearly to the extent that you guys are. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and I know drought often brings up problems and issues that you don't necessarily know you have. Right. You know, whether it's rootworm, um, you know, some nutrient def- deficiencies, um, nutrient mm-hmm. stratification, that's that's often when we deal with here with some, with some no-till environments. Um, uh-huh. is, is there anything that, you know, you, you guys deal with drought, I feel like, a little bit more consistently than we do here in Iowa. Uh-huh. Um, is, is there anything that maybe, despite drought being somewhat common in your area, is, is there anything that maybe came, came you know, to your you know, alerted you that, that there may be an issue because of that drought that you guys are seeing? Well, I think that uh, the drought is very unforgiving and it shows a lot of sins, right? If you have rainfall, it's going to cover up a lot of those things yep. and, and be much more forgiving. And so to your point, we saw a lot of that this year. One thing that for me frustrating was really frustrating is that at planting time, no matter how often it seems like we preach, slow down, make sure that you have your seeding depth correct and you're getting good seed to soil contact and you're in moisture. Um, we because we had such a dry winter, we didn't have a lot of residue breakdown. And so we had a lot more, a big crop last year and a lot of residue out there that didn't break down much. And so I would go on complaint calls and we would have these uneven stands. And it's like, guys, we could have, if we'd slowed down and made sure we were getting the seed in the ground where we needed it to be, we would have been starting are that that plants life on off on a much better foot so so that was certainly frustrating but a key learning there is that no no matter what environment situation you're going into in the season it's always back to the the basics right yep yep Um, that's definitely something we noticed here when when we were extremely dry during planting last year you you could really tell a difference with some planters that were having issues getting that seed to the proper depth so right. yeah, that that definitely can be an issue when you're in dry scenarios. So I, I'm curious too, Holly. What what in, in conditions that dry, especially probably thinking in your post application, how mm-hmm. how do how do herbicides work? You know, you look at a lot of the you know acetochlorers, metolachlorers that that we use for for example, you know, need some moisture for activation and, and to break uh-huh. off those soil colloids. What right. how, how does how effective when you're in that dry of a scenario? How how effective are some of your uh, herbicides you guys use? Well, um, the, the one thing that we do have as in our favor is the fact that in a lot of these fields, we have the ability to irrigate. So we can run some water over that to get that, um, that herbicide activation. That said, it, it creates a, an additional challenge in, um, in weed control when you're in such a low rainfall uh, geography, in addition to the high pH, because that, again, limits some of the products oh, yeah. that we yep. can even use out here because of, of pH, or we have some coarser textured soils that we deal with in areas. And so that, that somewhat limits our options for, for weed control. Yeah. We, uh, we certainly are in the, in the phase of planning for 2023. And I feel like a lot of these same considerations in central Iowa need to be taken. You know, we had, um, we came into 22 extremely dry. 
-hmm. we made up a lot of moisture in a hurry, (laughs) which wasn't necessarily a good thing. And then um, have been D1 to D3 for a a good portion of the the state drought. And Uh so a lot of these considerations, I think, um, really apply to a lot of the the corn belts. Um, As you think about 2022 and you're ready to go to 2023, what are your key takeaways? What what are you taking with you to next year and, and incorporating into the plants? Well, I would say this, regardless of what a excruciating growing season that seemed like it was, um, farmers, I feel like, are the most resilient people that you'll ever come across. Because even with as dry as it is, I am parked on the side of the road right now, and I'm looking at a field that a grower has gone out and drilled wheat. So even as they're trying to get past a failed crop or harvest a, a very low yielding crop, they have the faith and the belief to go out there and drill wheat with the hope that it's going to rain and we're going to make a crop next year. So that said, as I think about next year, some of the key learnings for this year that that I'm really, you know, looking at in a positive way are um, the products that we have in the lineup that handled that the stress that the season brought to us in addition to the top in yield that it brought two years ago so we've got a pendulum swing on both ends of the spectrum from one year to the next to be able to validate the products that we have handling both of those really really well is is good um and really encouraging to me it's like we are in a place that we're we're giving them the right products um so certainly being able to offer the the type of corn hybrids that are going to handle the stress that we have but if it rains they have yield potential feels feels really good and then again it's just going into next year with the um, how are we going to manage the situation that we're in today, which is still a very dry drought situation? What management decisions do we make? Is that lowering our populations? Do we um, split our our planting dates or our maturities to help out with our um, with our watering scenarios? Um, just just taking that defensive. Um, posture in yep. how we're making our, our planning for for the next year um, but knowing that 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 could also change very quickly with with some help from mother nature I really like what you said Holly about the farmer that had had put weed in when we did our grower panel or our grower interviews a couple weeks ago we interviewed a grower from West Kansas uh, his mm-hmm. name was Clay Scott uh-huh. And yep. I just, it was, it was actually Andrew and I talked after the Gur interviews that it was one of the more humbling interviews that we did because even in the incredibly challenging conditions that his farm was facing, he had a, a ton of optimism and was trying right. to, you know, trying to learn everything he could in an otherwise frustrating and, and far from ideal year. And I think that just speaks to the resilience of great producers, right? It's obviously a ton of fun when, when yields are outstanding and, mm-hmm. um, but, but the desire to, to learn and pull as much information out of a challenging year just, just speaks to the resilience of the American farmer. And that's, you know, that's something to be proud of and get excited about working alongside of. So, um, Holly, super appreciate you, uh, joining us today. And, uh, we hope that the planning goes really well and we hope you don't need near as much of the defense and it, uh, <laughs> and you get a, uh, 2021 style year. Um, but thanks for taking some time to spend with us today. Absolutely. Thank you guys. I really appreciate the opportunity to join you. Yep. Thank you, Holly. Well, hey, we have our next guest. Uh, he is uh, Jim Donley from uh, Illinois. Uh, Jim, welcome. Thanks for ha- thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. You bet, you bet. So, uh, Jim, why don't we start uh, by having you uh, tell us uh, where you're from and uh, what area you cover? Yeah. So, uh, again, Jim Donnelly. I am a uh, technical agronomist in. Uh, I'm I'm from Walnut, Illinois. So, if you're not familiar with that, that. Uh, just east of the Quad Cities, uh, about an hour. So kind of kind of in the central part of the state, east-west-wise, and then, um, you know, north-central north Illinois. Um, so I cover uh, approximately, uh, basically north of I-80, um, 
So essentially Lee County, uh, the Lee County Bureau County line, and then all the way up to Wisconsin, oh, wow. uh, and then all the, and then all the way across. So, um, that, I'll give your listeners a rough idea of, of my territory. Well, we, we really appreciate you coming on the show. We did a grower edition of our podcast, and on that grower edition, we kind of asked a series of questions about the season. And, and so what we're hoping to mm-hmm. gain, Jim, is a little bit of insight, I guess. So tell us, at the start of the 2022 growing season, did mm-hmm. you have a list of, um, I guess, practices or, or, or things you were looking at to evaluate in 2022? And uh, if so, what were those things? Boy, uh, that's a that's a good question. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, I think over this way, it's it's been um, I don't know. Tar spot's been you know the the predominant factor, and I know I know you guys have talked about it previously on on your podcast, but it, it really hasn't been a big topic uh, over this way. Um, so you know, we're just constantly trying to learn things from a from a fungicide management standpoint, uh, timing. Um, you know, those are all things that we're continuously learning. Um, you know, some other things that we've been working on, just, just trying to see if there's different things we can do. Uh, so we're a predominantly corn on corn area. Um, and and by predominantly, I mean, you know, that we, we tend to have longer rotations out of soybeans than typical. Uh, I consider it a two third, one third rotational area. So, you know, we, we tend to have some additional problems just, just because of that. Um, corn rootworm, um, and then from a seed treatment standpoint, like we're we're, we're constantly battling pythium and stuff too. So, uh, so we we we've we've been doing trials uh, just as far as you know over treatments and things like that, um, you know, to try and help maybe prevent pythium a little more than normal. Um, and I would say lastly is is corn rootworm. Uh, we've been heavy corn rootworm over the last uh, several years, yep. and uh, so with SmartSex Pro, we're we're trying to bring that in, and you know, obviously, you know, see how that's how that's working. Yeah. So I'm I'm curious. You brought up tar spot and rootworm. So I, I know here in Iowa, our tar spot. I mean, we had, we definitely had areas that were pretty bad. Uh, obviously, the further mm-hmm. east and, and north you are uh, in Iowa, it's a little bit worse. What what was yep. what was tar and, and and I guess rootworm too. You know, we we came into 2022 you know, having two previous years of pretty high populations with rootworm. And I Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was the weather, the winter, or what it was, combination perhaps. We just didn't have the rootworm pressure that we did last, the the last two years. So I'm curious, Mm -hmm. what was, what was the tar spot incidence and severity, and then also rootworm pressure like in your area this year? Yeah. So, uh, from a tar spot standpoint, um, you know, and and just so your viewers know, I mean, we've had it in in our local area of, since 15 yep. so you know you're the lucky early area. adopters huh well, yeah yeah <laughs> Somebody, somebody's got to go first <laughs> that's right that's right wrong place at the wrong time <laughs> yeah. but, um so you know we, we've we've had the pleasure of of having it for that long and and it, it'll it'll pop up in different areas um you know every year so um very often it'll be heavy one year and in that same area there's hardly any of it um, you know, the following year. And that's just kind of the way it is. Yep. This past season, uh, the Northwest corner uh, is the heaviest. So, you know, like you mentioned, you know, as you get into Northeast Iowa, it's pretty heavy. We were the same way in Northwest, Northwest Illinois. I, I will say that it really didn't come on until later. And, and frankly, if we didn't have such a slow progressing, maturing fall, um, the impact probably wouldn't have been near as great, but, you know, we were hanging that three quarter milk line for a month. It seemed like, yeah. And that just, that just allowed, allowed it to, to make a, a bigger impact. So can, can I ask a question, Jim? Cause I, I would say, you know, for us, it's not that tar spots new, uh, but we're seeing the incidents go, you know, mm-hmm. significantly broader impact in terms of the incidents. I have, I have some insecurity, because when I think about scouting, so much of what, of what we've been told is kind of the window from identification to application of a control fungicide is is really quick. 
not necessarily like a super long answer, but I mean, what are you guys doing to yeah. scout for this? I mean, what's your trigger to say, okay, now we've got to go pay attention to it. Cause I have, you know, we, we cover a pretty broad geography and so yeah. it, it's just almost this, this insecurity, like how, how do I keep eyes on, on all these fields to make sure I can respond quickly? Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, I don't look at this as a scout and spray type disease, okay. um, especially with if, if you're dealing with some more susceptible germplasm, like you're right from the time you see it uh, to the time you have it is, is not very long. Um, you know, what I would say is the earlier, just as a, as a generalization, the earlier you see it in your, in a region, you know, the more likely it's to become a, a problem. Gotcha. So, you know, if, if you're seeing it around tassel, like, um, you know, I, I'm going to recommend a, a tassel time fungicide on a lot of different acres, Yep. you know? Yep. Um, and then, you know, to me, the question is, you know, are you going to need it again in, in some instances? So that, that becomes trickier, but, um, you know, any more around here, as long as you are, if you're seeing around tassel time, there's not many acres that shouldn't get an application, unfortunately. Yeah, yep. I appreciate that. that. That was a really good question, yep. Sean, because I, I think uh, Donnelly, of all people, you know, he's kind of, kind of the expert in um, early management of tar spot. You know, Jim, we just don't get tar spot here in Iowa as, as early as you guys do. So That's so awesome. <laughs> it, 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 does, it does save a little a little headaches uh, for us and growers that's for sure <laughs> but yeah. but one of the yeah. one of the more common questions i get and, and i'd love to, to get your opinion on this is you know say say we do have the environmental conditions that, that are conducive for tar spot early and and we mm -hmm. perhaps start seeing it at that v4 to v5 you know v10 mm -hmm. stage com compared to what maybe what we're used to around that you know tassel the r2 and then, you know, definitely our, our four or five, but when, when you do see it in, in spots in the, in those heavier areas, you know, where the, where the severity is just, just higher, what, what do you, mm -hmm. what do you see in regards to fungicide applications early? Is, is it worth it or, or are you still better off waiting until later? Yeah, I, I think there's, there's potential for it to, to pay off, uh, some of those earlier applications, um, if it's, if it's coming in early, but I, I will say that it is very rare to see any disease by V4, V5. Yep. Um, it's, it's, it's very rare. In fact, I've, the only time that I've seen it, um, you know, by V7 is either in inoculated situations or like, uh, volunteer corn, sure. you know, but in a normal, in a normal crop standpoint, you just don't see it that early. Yep. So, but with that being said, the, the infection can come in about that time, and some of those early applications do hold it off under high pressure. So, I don't want to say that that it doesn't ever pay off to to do a pre-tassel fungicide at all. Um, you know, it's just we we don't see that a lot, and so that's why we tend to make a blanket recommendation of BTR one, um, and, and then kind of go from there, right? Our, our recommendation to growers has been just with, with it being unique to us, we want to make sure we understand our fungicide needs and, and, and have that accounted for as, as we look at next year, kind of mm -hmm. underneath that umbrella that we don't know when we're going to have to pull the trigger. We theoretically mm -hmm. are going to wait and do the majority of it as, as a tassel application, like what mm -hmm. we've historically done, but, but just kind of come in preloaded. Um, yeah. You talked about uh, rootworm. We seem to have... Yes. I feel like a little lower incidence this year than I maybe would have expected in central Iowa. Tell me what you guys saw. Um, I would say overall, it kind of mirrors that. Um, sure. But I don't know how much of it is. So I, I would say we've done a really good job at trying to get growers to, to rotate yep. out of those situations. Mm -hmm. And it's it's working. I mean, <laughs> imagine that. It's the best. Um, <laughs> highly effective, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I know it's something that nobody likes to do. I get it. And, um, you know, even, even when I'm combining lodge soybeans, like it's like, Oh, why do I even, <laughs> why do we even plant these things? But, uh, we, we have to, we have to do it in these cases and, um, it's, it, it's very valuable. So 
It, it, yes, I would say the pressure is a little bit down, um, but we did see at the same time plenty of feeding. Now, we also hardly got any windstorms, and as That's you guys a know, for a lot you guys, of times it? <laughs> it is a, it is a rarity. Um, so, which means we're due for two next year. Um, but as you guys know, sometimes it, it takes one of those to even surface a problem, or yeah. else yep. you know. The guys don't know it. And I think that that was the case too this year is I'm sure there was more issues out there. Yeah. Um, they just didn't come to light. Yeah. That's def so, definitely one of the issues with rootworm. A lot of times you don't even know you have a problem until, until mother nature helps you uh, figure it out. Yeah. The first, the and first when, time, <laughs> the first time that uh, Andrew Penny scolded me uh, not long after he was in his role, he, uh, we were looking at some writ lodged corn and he goes, what was the pressure last year? And I kind of stared at him and he like, he's like, dude, you got to help me out here. I mean, you got to be out here, to, you know, you got to run the traps. You got to be out doing the work. And so it was good. I, I got my hand slapped by my agronomist for not, uh, there you go. For, good for job, not Andrew. doing my, uh, my pre-work before we got to the field. So, so, <laughs> so, so Jim, as no, we, I'm, uh, just, I, I'm just going to say, but while we finish that, I mean, the trials that we had out in corn on corn, yep. the pressure was still there in the untreated. So yeah, I, yep. Again, that, that that tells me that that's probably out there. Yeah. So, so Jim, as we uh, wrap up, I, I think the most important yep. question that we have is, in in, in one that I hope I, I know my, myself and our listeners uh, learn from is what what are some of your key takeaways for 2022? You know, there was so many different in, in environmental conditions that I'm sure you faced throughout your territory. Um, just just different management practices that may have influenced yield. What what are some key takeaways? You know, anything from pre's post timing of of, of anything. Um, what are some of your key takeaways for 2022? Um, so I would say like from a, from a soybean standpoint, like this year, you know, we did push the envelope, uh, on planting dates, which obviously you guys know that, that, uh, that early, early planting soybeans continues to get pushed. And I'm still, I'm still a fan of that. Yep. Um, but, but we certainly had some that were put into less than ideal conditions <laughs> and, um, it, it, it didn't pay off like like it normally did so i still think that there's something to we still have to make sure that the the conditions are at least somewhat favorable yeah, <laughs> to, yep, yep, to, to yep, plant beans into you know I, I, don't, I don't think we need to be mudding them in just because <laughs> us agronomists are out telling you guys to you know to plant beans early you know we, we still have to be mindful of that um the second thing is i'm a huge fan of these sds treatments like Olivo, I always yep. have been. Yep. I will continue to be, and, and I don't know what it's like in Central Iowa necessarily, but you know we tend to see SDS go up and down, you know, from year one year to the next, and you can never really predict that how heavy it's going to be. But yep. the thing is, you just don't know. And the more we push these early planted beans, it has to go on there. Yep, um, we're huge fans and, of Olivo and, and Saltro around here. Yep. Yes. Yes. Uh, it, yep. And I tell guys, I don't care what you're running, just get it on. Yep. <laughs> you know, Agreed. just use it. Yep. So, uh, well, um, so it's it's funny. It's funny you said that about. You know, we still have to be mindful of the soybean conditions because when we interviewed <laughs> uh, Dr. Conley, um, I I was laughing because he's like, you know, he was saying seven to ten days before you should you think you should plant corn consider planting soybeans. And I'm like, I think all we did was just open the gates a lot earlier. I'm not sure anyone's <laughs> going to plant corn later. We're just going to plant soybeans way earlier. So, yeah, um, well, and, and, and to some extent, you know, the corn being seven to 10 days later was still too early yeah. um, yep. for, for some, just because of conditions. Yep. Like there's a whole ton of corn that went in May 12th to May 16th around here. Um, Cause that's the, that's the first time conditions were actually, really fit for it yep um but at, at both stuff at least for us up until the uh, you know 10th of may wasn't a lot of good conditions yeah so period but yeah like i said at the beginning i'm still a fan of early plan <laughs> yep. absolutely a hundred percent just but, be a little bit uh, more mindful right lesson learned yes so that's <laughs> correct yep yep well, Jim, uh, definitely some some uh, great key takeaways, and uh, uh, the overall message and discussion was was really good. So I appreciate it. Good. Yep. Anytime, guys. Yeah, I really appreciate it, Jim. Thanks for the time, and uh, good luck with with planning this fall. And uh, we'll uh, we'll have you back at some point.
Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Thanks so to much. you both. Thanks, Jim. Yep. We'll see you. All right, we're back with our next guest, uh, Nicole Steckline uh, from Northeast Iowa. Nicole, how are you doing? Good. We finally got the cold air, so we flipped directly from like Indian summer to winter. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if your forecast is the exact same as ours, but it is a brutal change. I mean, it was like seventy degrees today, and there is, and the forecasts are highs in the thirties for the next like two weeks. It's going to be a pretty wild shift. Oh yeah. Well, it's Iowa. I suppose we're, we should be used to whiplash. <laughs> that's, that's right. I got to say, um, what this, I was looking forward to this interview. Um, for those of us listening, if you're not following her, um, you need to follow Nicole on Twitter. Uh, her Twitter account is both informative, but also very entertaining. So uh, <laughs> at Nicole Steckline, um, uh, we, we, will, we will put your handle in our, uh, in our podcast notes when we, when we release the podcast. But uh, I really appreciate what you do on social media. It's, uh, I learn a lot, but I'm also entertained. Well, if you really want to be entertained, you're going to have to check out the TikTok. But that's uh, <laughs> is that's that a is that bit, where it gets uh, less professional. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll I'll have to uh, I'll have to slide over there and check that out. But Nicole, we we appreciate you joining us today. You know, really, really, what we um, what we'd what we'd like to have you do is is maybe just start and tell us a little bit about 2022 and and what your key learnings were. And before we well, do that, I, I, I I apologize. Before we do that, tell our listeners. Uh, where are you from, what your role is, and, and uh, the, the area you support? Yeah, so who the heck am I? Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm in Northeast Iowa. Currently, I cover from Interstate 80, and then I dabble up into Minnesota. And then I go kind of over to the Independence area. So my own little corner of Northeast Iowa. Um, so role is technical agronomist, so just like Andrew Penny there. I also, uh, anytime I get a chance, I like to help my husband farm because he does farm full time. And then we're also trying to raise four rambunctious farm boys. So oh boy. we're kind of <laughs> constantly on the move. <laughs> Well, yeah. So, so, so Northeast Iowa, certainly, uh, certainly pretty unique challenges in, in 2022. Tell us a little bit about what you learned this year and, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's almost like, I don't want to say that we have like a lot of challenges because there were at least challenges that we could manage for. We're like, if I was going to complain about something, right. It's that we had too much rain in some areas, <laughs> Which is, it feels like kind of a, a jerk thing to say <laughs> after the year that basically the rest of the Midwest had, right? Yeah. I mean, when I would hop on Twitter, it's everybody talking about how dry it is. And yeah. it's like, I kind of just kept my mouth shut. But, you know, the, the perfect corn-growing environment is also the perfect disease environment. So, As I if mean, tar spot really, wasn't a big enough problem in your area, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I mean... We, we had always been like, you know, the, the big tar spot Mecca along with like the Michigan and the Illinois area. And of the last, let's see here, we identified it in Iowa in 2016. And so last 2018 was kind of a hit and miss. There were some places where it was really bad. Um, and then we had 2021, which was a pretty severe tar spot year. And then 2022, you know, the combination of the heavy inoculum loads from the year before and then really having excellent moisture from July on through grain fill, that sucked. That engine started up and it just never stopped. Yeah. So so you brought up the, the rainfall, which I think you're, you know, with, with all the, the from the grower edition to the agronomist edition now, I think you're one of the few that have had adequate rainfall through the year. So, so just to dig deeper in that and maybe get a different perspective on everyone, everyone else that we've talked with is, is there anything you've learned from that? You know, you look at, you know, even, even us here in central Iowa where we're dry now, we had an extremely wet spring. So, you know, you bring up additional conversations on, on maybe some additional nitrogen that might be needed or just anything, any, anything else, you know, maybe even a, a pre the timing of your pre or I'm sorry, your post herbicide application. Was it, was there anything else that the, the moisture impacted uh, above and beyond tar spot? You know, what's interesting about that comment too is uh, we get a lot of comments about how wet our spring was and up here in Northeast Iowa, 
we weren't actually, we didn't have actually like a lot of large volume of rainfall. Our biggest problem was really the temperatures, which is why we had such late planting spring. Um, so we, we really weren't all that wet. We could have actually used some rain in June. We were actually missing a lot of rain in June. But that really pushed our planting window. And I think the biggest thing on particularly the herbicide was the soybeans, yeah. right? I and, and it showed up this year too, like beans, you know, plant more beans. We have rootworm, but they were the bane of my existence. This <laughs> um, you know, usually when something goes wrong, I have to go out and look at corn. But this spring, even into harvest, my problem fields were soybean fields. And this spring... A lot of it was they're just they're slow growing, um, a lot more replants on the soybeans than than on the corn this year. Which you know, to have stand loss that you have to replant soybeans is is pretty bad. Um, but we had quite a bit of soybean replant this year. Yeah, and some of it was because just we had such a terrible crust because, like I said, we missed a lot of rain. After once we got planting, we missed a lot of rain, yeah. and we just got hot right after Mother's Day, and it it made that crust. The other thing that hurt our soybeans bad was since it was so cold, we didn't spray our trees, and rightfully so. You know what's the point of going out there and spraying if those weeds are actively growing? Yep. But then we saw our planting window close and getting later and later. Typically, we spray our trees, and then they just kind of chill out on the soil for a while, and then they and then we plant. Well. This year, they were so bunched together, and then add on top of that really tough emergence conditions. And, you know, we've been getting really, really aggressive with our soybean trees, which <laughs> we need to, but it, it definitely set those beans back. And so my calls going and looking at slow-growing beans this spring really turned into, why aren't my soybeans yielding? And bean yields on this side of the state were all over the place. We, we would get those calls and how excited somebody was with 90 bushel beans, you know, and that was typically those guys that had 10 years corn on corn. They were looking up to break up the rootworm. Yep. And, but the guys that were, are on full rotation, those are the guys that were like, and eh, my beans are not great. Yep. So I think that there was low levels of disease across a lot of soybean fields. It wasn't bad enough. To, you know, kill fields early. The white mold was out there, but it wasn't killing huge parts of the field. The SDS was out there, but it seemed to just kind of drag all the yield down without actually killing stuff. But it was definitely there. And particularly, I think, because of the struggle to get them out of the ground and get them growing. It's amazing how it seems like year after year, I'm amazed at kind of the microclimate challenges, right? I mean, it, it, we're only talking about a couple hours away from where we're recording this podcast right now and, and just very different conditions that you guys were having to fight through. Yes. Well, and even especially on the soybeans, when I look at the soybean that I plant here versus a soybean that they're planting an hour and a half to the West, they can't because of IDC. Sure. Soybeans are so, um, so pocketed. Yes. Yeah. But yep. I had a, one of our uh, channel agronomists from South Africa, West Iowa had emailed his season recap and I opened that up and I was like, I can't use any of this. It's all about drought. <laughs> yeah. None of, none, none of this does me any good. Well, so take us, yeah. so take us, um, Nicole, you, you guys play a, a really critical role. I think Andrew's really important to my business and, and, and my customers because he, he plays an important role in helping us think through what should we be thinking about as we plan our crop for next year. So, so obviously hybrid placement is important, but, but as you're, as you're helping um, farmers think about their 2023 crop, what are you encouraging them to consider in your part of the world? Um, a, you can't plan for last year. So always plan for success. I'm always pushing on that. Love that one. Um, yep. I, yeah. Cause it, we, we tend to have a knee jerk reaction to whatever's closest in our memory. Um, and I, I think even for kind of all, of, I mean, tar spot, it's, it is just a part of our life now and it's always going to be there, but if it's going to steal yield from us or not, it's going to depend on mother nature, but we cannot control or really predict to any great success what mother nature is going to do. So I really want my guys to have their fungicide plans 
in place um, and just plan on executing them. And, you know, there, there's, there's still some guys out there who are like, well, I'm going to wait and see, or I'm going to do it hybrid by hybrid or, you know, this or that. I, I think those days are, are behind us. Yep. And, and particularly when you look at agriculture as a whole, you know, when you look at vegetable crops, when you look at wheat crops, most other crops, fungicide is a part of the plan as much as a herbicide is. We yep. just hadn't gotten to that point yet. Yep. And hopefully breeding and disease tolerance is going to get us closer to getting back away from that. But for as much dollars as we have sitting out there, um, I'm sure as heck not going to leave a single disease um, to be the determining factor of whether I am successful or not. I, uh, no, I, I, I love your idea of having, you know, have a plan in place and be ready to execute it because you're right. One of the things that I always remind myself as concerning as tar spot is, we have a tool to manage it. So we have a ton to learn, um, obviously, uh, but, but unlike maybe for instance, Goss's what comes to mind, you know, we were in a really vulnerable position because we didn't really have a tool to manage it with tar spot. We have the tools to manage it. We just need to put the plans in place and execute them. Um, Nicole really appreciate you taking time to join us, uh, today. Is there anything else you would leave our listeners with as they prepare for 2023? I think particularly on, on the tar spot portion of it, um, do not think that rotation will put you in a better spot. Yeah. Um, I know that I've talked to some guys who are like, I didn't spray this field because it's on the rotated acre and yep. it's still awful for tar spot. Yep. Um, rotation does not look to play a difference. Yep. I'm really, um, so I'm really glad you brought that up. Save you from that. Yep. Really glad you brought that and up because as often as we talk about tar spot and all the guests we've had on, you know, we've mentioned it, but I don't think we say it enough. I think there are still a lot of growers that think they, you know, like some other diseases, they can just rotate away from it. But, you know, similar to maybe some like uh, some other issues we deal with, what your neighbor's doing and encountering can definitely impact you. And this would be a prime example, right? Absolutely. 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 Yeah. Well, Nicole, thank you. Uh, have a great fall. Uh, thanks for all you do to support agriculture and entertain us. Um, and uh, yeah, I appreciate you taking time to uh, to be with us today. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Nicole. Well, Andrew, another great episode. And one of the things that I appreciate as I re-listen to these interviews is just um, the ability to gain perspective across geographies. And then, frankly, just the willingness of so many of these agronomists to share their learnings, you know, a lot of it affirms, um, a lot of it affirms obviously what, what we've seen here locally, but also it's, it's interesting just to see what they're testing and thinking about and, and their key takeaways. I guess, as we think about a penny for your thoughts and cashing in your penny, give me your couple takeaways, uh, from these four. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed, you know, I, I've known these, these agronomists for a while now and, and, and definitely have a lot of respect for them. Uh, love to gain their insight on, on kind of what they've seen in 2022 and, you know, some, some things that stood out, um, you know, I, I really enjoyed listening to, to Holly discuss some of the, the pH issues they deal with. You know, uh, you know, I think sometimes we take it for granted. You know, it, it's common here in Iowa. We have a low pH. So, you know, t- listening to her think about products uh, a little bit differently, you know, dealing with high pH, that, that's always interesting. And it makes me, you know, just, just think differently and kind of appreciate uh, where we're at, what we deal with and kind of what I'm used to, I guess. Um, you know, Jim, Jim Donnelly, always, always love, love listening to him. Um, you know, he's kind of the, the tar spot expert being from Illinois. Uh, he, he's dealt with some, some pretty serious tar spot um, severities. So, uh, you know, I, I enjoy picking his brain and, and listening to kind of what he's seen. Um, then then you, you got Nicole and, and Jeremy. Um, definitely love listening to them. I, I love their passion and, you know, what, the, what they bring to the table. Um, definitely had some good, re- good advice, uh, regarding fungicides, uh, in rotation. So, you know, I, I think, I think just, uh, you know, hopefully you have some, some key takeaways kind of like I did listening to the episode. Yeah, I did. I think one of the things that probably stuck out to me the most, and, um, I, I really enjoy Nicole, her social media is fun, but I thought her call out where she talked about, um, you know, you can't plan for last year. I think that's something as we've sat this year with growers and tried to think through a cropping plan, just, we want to learn from each growing season, but, but odds are next year won't be the same as this. So we, we need to, you know, really to utilize those key takeaways, but understand that next year is 
likely going to be significantly different than uh, yep. than than twenty twenty two was. So it's kind of like picking products and looking at plot data, right? Yeah, you know, you, you can't chase that current year. You yep. know, I, I think you're better off looking at averages over a two to three year period. You know, otherwise you're always chasing that previous year and. You know, like you said, the next year is not going to be like this year. Yeah, absolutely. I thought I thought her call out was was great there, and then um, you know, I, I think tar spot just it just seems like that just keeps resurfacing. You know, as as something we need to be aware of. And Nicole also pointed out, you know, that the rotation, you know, corn on corn versus a rotated acre isn't going to make a significant impact on on tar spot. And so I think as we put together 2023 plans, just really understanding our our need for fungicide and timing for fungicide, and and thinking through you know, who are we going to get the product from? What product do we want to get? And then can we make sure we get that in our shed, uh, you know, early in the growing season so we have access to it if we need it. But yep. um, ultimately just really appreciative of all these agronomists wanting to share their thoughts and, and uh, uh, help us see from a broader lens than, than you know, maybe a, a, a narrower one that we can get trapped into. So uh, really great episode. One of the things I was thinking of uh, just kind of as a shout out to our listeners would be, as we're talking through these things, certainly there's probably topics that we didn't cover or questions that you may have as a result of listening to uh, these interviews. Uh, send us those, a penny for your thoughts at gmail.com or Andrew and I's Twitter um, accounts. Uh, you know, send us those messages. Uh, we'd, we'd love to answer those questions either as part of these uh, setups and recaps or on a future, uh, future podcast. So always appreciate you guys listening. Yep. Thank you for joining us for another episode of A Penny for Your Thoughts. As always, we love feedback from our listeners. Please email us at a penny for your thoughts at gmail.com or reach out to Andrew and I on our social media. We'll chat at you next week.